Welcome to Be Advised, Leading with Value with Brad Swinehart. In this podcast, we will focus on successful marketing methods for advisors that generate prospects and clients. We will learn from the best in the industry on how advisors in the trenches today are growing their practices. Join us for this journey where Brad draws from years of expertise and guest experts to help advisors reach their full potential. This podcast is brought to you by White Gloves Podcast Connect Program, a done-for-you, fully integrated podcasting system that will help you keep in touch with all of your leads. Love your business. Well, what do you mean you aren't so sure? Well, Brad has someone who can help you with that because this guest cares. Matthew Newman cares about his family and his company and colleagues. And at that company, Advisors Excel, he cares about empowering the very best financial advisors to become better business owners. Matthew helps them achieve their goals, unlock their potential, and make a positive impact on their communities. Hey, buddy, longtime friends. Happy to have you on the show. I love everything that you've been doing over the years. Uh, thanks so much for being on. Super kind words, brother. I appreciate it. Good to have uh Good to have us together here, Brad. So let's just dive right in. A little bit about you. I mean, what you grew the biggest annuity book of business in the country. You've climbed the distance of Mount Everest. You've inspired your children to be beanie baby entrepreneurs. I mean, if you think of a successful, driven human being, Matt Newman always hits the top of my list. Like this dude just gets it. He moves. And, you know, on top of that, you're, you're just a kind inspiring, just a, a generous human being with your time as well. So I know, I know you and I have talked over the years and I'll tell one quick story here um, before we get rolling, but you know, Matt was nice enough when he was as busy as could possibly be that he just sat down with me for a good hour. And we just talked about building businesses, being an entrepreneur, how to, how to focus on what you need in life and had just a wonderful conversation. And a couple of weeks later, I get this giant box in the mail and I'm like, what the heck is this? Right. And I pull out, it's a full, it's like a real ax. Right. And I, I should actually carry it around now because I have the long hair. It'd be a very Viking thing. It would to make sense now. Walk around the office with an ax, <laughs> but it comes with this great story about how you need, you know, how you need direction in life and how you need resources. And without one or the other, you, you can't get anywhere. And I thought that was so awesome. I still have it. It's it's hung up at my house. And, you know, I think I've said enough, Matt, but like, what do you think at the at your core, what motivates you to be so driven and so just generous with your time and knowledge? To wrap up that axe story, uh, I love that metaphor because it's you got to sharpen the axe, right? We all always have to be improving. Our axe is either getting sharpened or dulled. I appreciate what you put together here on podcasts like this and everything that you do in your day-to-day life, right? Because you're trying to lean into other people. You're trying to improve their lives, improve their practices, improve the way that they're impacting their communities. So, um, you know, the people that are listening to this get that because they're trying to sharpen their axe in some way, shape, or form. But you got you to gotta sharpen it. We always got to make sure that we're improving. And then secondly, you got to know where to swing it. Like you can't just step up to a tree and just start swinging wildly all over the place and think you're going to get something done, right? I mean, you need to know where to swing it repeatedly over and over and over, put in the work. I jokingly say, I think I'll out consistency anybody. So, you know, you'll just, you'll put in the work and just chop and chop and chop and chop and sharpen as we need to. And eventually it'll fall, you know? So that's why I love that metaphor. Um, I'm glad that you still have that thing and you, uh, you're hanging on to it. 
And it, and it works too. I had to, uh, I had to chop a tree down earlier this fall and I was like, Hey, you know what, this might, let's just see if it works. And it, it totally does. Yeah. It did a great <laughs> job. <laughs> I am, I am Here we go. Here we go. But, um, but to maybe answer your question and we can go whatever way you want to go with this. I've for as long as I can remember been blessed with a gift to reverse engineer into things. Um, I'm doing it right now for 2022, just the timing of this podcast of I'm blocking. I, I've got a drag and drop file in my email. And as things hit me throughout the year, if that's something I might want to consider, not that I for sure want to do that. Maybe I, that's something I might want to consider. I'll drag and drop and put it in there. And then I clear a specific time at the end of the year, usually around December one, around this time to go back through that. And it's usually a hundred, 150 thoughts that I have throughout the year. I mean, I'm emailing myself a lot and most of them are like, I don't even know what delete, I was thinking. Delete, delete. Like, doesn't <laughs> but plenty of them do, plenty of them do. And now, you know, what I'm doing is I'm trying to prioritize and think, okay, so what are the, what are the couple things from a family perspective or from a fitness perspective or from a, a financial perspective or, you know, a faith perspective, you know, where, what are the things I'd like to put on my, on my 2022, this is how we're going to improve ourselves and improve the people around us. And then I'm going to, I'm going to take those and I'm going to make sure that I calendar block whatever it needs to calendar block and reverse engineer into that. So, you know, maybe an example is I want to get another book out. Okay. So let's say I've, I've picked up a lot of things over the last three years. I've got a topic that should hit maybe on the great resignation or maybe about culture, or maybe about whatever we could hear. And, and I've already got some thoughts and I've already had plenty of conversations on it, but if that's something that I for sure want to do, then I need to know, okay, we want it out by the end of 2022. And I'm going to need this amount of time with this sort of team to make it happen. How I work, Brad, is I'm going to back into all of that. And if I don't um, reverse engineer into it, it doesn't land on the calendar. It's probably not going to happen. Right. But I just take that same, that same structure, that same architecture into family. You mentioned about some funny beanie baby flipping things. Oh, and we're going to talk about that. Into, we're going to you know, talk about even, that. <laughs> <laughs> so anything, I mean, we can go any, any direction that you want, but if it lands on the calendar in 2022, this is going to happen. You know, there's no doubt about it. It's there. It's going to So happen. two things I loved about what you said is the out consistent, whatever the out you out consistent, out consistency, anybody. I love that, that, I mean, and that's just so hard in this industry. And I, I, preach this on almost every podcast that so many advisors get wrapped up in the shiny object syndrome and they try this and they try this and they try this and they're not consistent enough with anything to see real success. And then the second thing I picked up out of all of that um, is, I don't know if you guys were catching it, but he puts all these great ideas in a folder until the end of the year. And then December 1st is when he goes through and says, Hey, all these things are going. And that's actually when we're recording, we're recording on December 1st. So I must've been like top yeah. of the list of um, <laughs> you're there. Number one. So, so you've worked with some of the most successful advisors that I've ever come in contact with. You've, um, we kind of gleamed through it at the beginning. You've built a, you built a very large book of business of annuity producers and helped these advisors grow to just heights that they probably never thought possible. And you, and, and you None did that, you know, over the course of how many years or, or did you start? I mean, cause you were one of the original four, right? At, at AE. Yeah. So at Advisors Excel, I came out of college and I was with another IMO, FMO that was purchased by Allianz for my first two years out of school. And I learned a lot of things there. That was kind of my training ground. And then Advisors Excel started in 2005 and I was the first guy in the doors here with the founders. And so we've been doing that going right now, uh, going on 16 and a half years. And so when I came in, I was the first sales guy, the first VP to start 
uh, visiting with financial advisors about our value proposition, AAE, and what we would like to offer them in partnership and how we felt like we could differentiate them and differentiate a partnership. And, uh, and it worked, you know, and over the course of about 15 years, continued to, to add financial advisors to our firm, to add them to the coaching block that I took on and built a team here underneath me in the office of about uh, 10. So we had about 10 of us and we serviced and our clients and our friends were about 150 of the literally most successful financial advisors in America, um, all 50 states, uh, all different walks of life. Um, and yeah, they, they would do a, a about a little over a billion dollars of annuities a year, every year, that group wow. of people, and about another billion dollars of securities business, AUM and, and GDC through the grid. And so it's a couple billion dollars. And these are people that really, really got after it, Brad. You know, these are people that, uh, yeah, they're phenomenal financial advisors, but uh, they're even better entrepreneurs. They're even better, better business owners. They are people that are masters at direct response marketing. Right. And so, yeah, the, you know, those conversations definitely evolved over the 15 years. And, and, um, and now just in the last year and a half, I took on a role as chief strategy officer to work more across our organization to try to add some more value at a, at a level beyond those 150 advisors. Um, but yeah, it's been a, a phenomenal ride, a fantastic ride to be able to, to, to work side by side and shoulder to shoulder with those advisors to see them grow. We all grew together. You know, like you said, none of us knew what sort of scale we were going to create. You just, try to put the work in every day and, and every week and good things come along, you know, for the people that continue to put I it I love in. it. It couldn't have happened to a, a better individual in my mind. I mean, you're, you help it, you know, back when you're in the trenches, you're first starting out, you're speaking to new advisors of the value prop, um, all of that, but eventually they're, they're in the system, they're working, you're building your book of business. What are some of the common things that you ran into with your advisors of, hey, I'm struggling with this? I'll speak to it a couple of different ways because I think over the years, it, uh, it evolved, right? I mean, I think that's fair for all of us. What we were talking about from 2005 to 2010, it's very different than what we're talking about today. Well, we would hope so, right? We'd hope we weren't be still talking about- I, I, Let me try to, yeah, <laughs> but let me try to put in some consistency, right? Some, some points that have evolved, but probably haven't changed. The macro themes are the same. So uh, at core, the, the advisors that were at a foundational level with us, the first and most important thing is they needed to get in front of enough people. And so it was, it's kind of funny, some of the very, the number one financial advisor account that we work with here at Advisors Excel this year for 2021, they're going to bring in somewhere around $400 million of new assets, probably even a little more than that. They've got a quote and it's kind of funny, but it's true. They say a lot of your business problems can be solved with more first appointments. And so don't get me wrong that for sure, we want to hire the right people and set up the right systems and structure and sales process and culture and all of the things we can get into. But at a foundational level, you have to be in front of people, right? One of our, one of our four core principles that Advisors Excel is, it's all about prospecting and prospecting must evolve, right? So you have to be in front of people. If you're not, all this other fancy stuff doesn't matter, right? So we got to get in front of people. That's always foundational. Now, how you do that evolves, right? Um, but, but we got to be in front of people. Secondly, once we're starting to get in front of a consistent amount of, of people, new prospects, and this could be, this is different across offices. This might be one or two a day, 
for some offices, it might be five a day for some, you know, that number is different. But once we're having conversations around, okay, I can run this marketing program on repeat, get fairly good, a fairly good gauge of how many people I'm going to be in front of. Now we start focusing in on the, we'll call it sales process because everybody will understand that vernacular, but it sounds kind of bad. Basically just the client process, the client experience that you walk somebody through. So, you know, what do they see when they first step into your office? What are they, you know, in priming? What are they smelling? What are they looking at? What, what sort of messages are you providing that you're about? When they step in for that first 45 minutes of an of a initial meeting, what happens? Like that needs to be somewhat orchestrated, still provide uh, flexibility for everybody that comes through. But we need to know what's happening in there. And the client, you need to provide the client some clarity and some certainty about what, what's going to happen there. Walk them through a process. What's going to happen in the second meeting? What's going to happen in a third meeting? What does a close look like? What sort of things are you getting in front of the client at certain points of time? But all of that needs to become a bit more regimented. So that way you can provide the structure in there. And once you have some, some of that framework, now you can still flow within the framework, but you need the framework in there. And so that usually is a huge piece to growth that we've seen over the years is when people start to get in front of them, now they get some framework around what that client process looks like. And then I'll wrap by saying maybe the third macro point, Brad, now that they're in front of people, now they're taking the client through a great experience. Um, they know how they can continue to get better and, and, uh, and change and raise their closing percentage. But now we're starting to grow a business. Now we're beyond selling things. So now we're going to start getting into things about staffing, and culture and you know operational processes, tracking profitability, um, those sort of things that are more about scale, taking now what we do from a marketing and a sales perspective and scaling it to an appropriate level. And that appropriate level is different. Some people want to be the solo advisor in an office and they want two or three on support staff and that is phenomenal with great profit margins if that's their vision. Others that we work with want one or two offices, three or four advisors, maybe 10 or 15 on staff. Fantastic. We kind of call that a scale practice. Others want to be a CEO. They see themselves as opening six or eight or 10 offices, and maybe they themselves eventually moving out of, out of um, personal production and really running the business. And that depends. Once we get to that third level, then it becomes more about the vision of what the financial advisor wants and executing on that. But we never get there unless step one of being in front of people and step two of taking them through a consistent client experience happen. We can get those two for every office that we work with. Now we can start doing some of the fun stuff and figure it out, you know, what that financial advisor wants to create. I think that's spot on, right? No matter what type of professional you are, if your lobby's empty, you're not going to grow. If you're a dentist, if you're a financial advisor, it, it doesn't matter. If you could be the, the best dentist in the area, the best service, the, I mean, so much better than everybody else, you would kill it. But if your lobby's empty, it doesn't matter, right? You're you're doing matter. yourself and, and your community a disservice. And it's the same thing for financial advisors. If you're not Agreed. seeing enough people, then it doesn't matter how good you are. Brad, let me offer this to your to the listeners here real quickly, ping it back to you. But this is a great takeaway. The number one thing that we've asked the offices at AE, we work with about 700 offices around the United States. Again, top independent guys around, guys and gals, financial advisors around the country. We say if there is one and only one number that you track in your business, again, most of these are tr tracking a lot of numbers, profitability numbers and closing numbers. But if there's only one, you throw it all away and we all at our weekly meeting look at one number, it's the, it's the number of pending 
first meetings. We've called it the most important number. We honestly have a spreadsheet where people can plug in what their goals are for the year, their average client size, their closing ratio, this whole concept I kind of led with of reverse engineering. Reverse engineer that here's the goals I want and back down a few numbers into it to get into this is the number of first meetings that I need at any point in, point in time pending on my calendar. And, you know, you got to know a few of your metrics to get that. You need to know your closing ratio and your average case size and how many meetings you want to take on. But if there is one metric that the people listening will track in their office for 2022 that will make the biggest difference, they need to know at any point in time for me to hit my goals, I need seven pending first meetings on my calendar at all times. And if I'm below that, I got to do something different. I got to ramp up my marketing a little bit more. I got to pick up the phone and start calling more people. I need to get some more referrals. We need to do whatever it is that we need to do. But if I want to do $10 million or 15 or $20 million of new client assets gathered this year, and I know to do that, I need seven pending first meetings at all time. That's the most important number that anybody can track. I love that. And I've, and I've sat through some of your guys' trainings with advisors where, where you break down, you know, you guys are big on seminars, obviously, that's why we're such good friends, right? <laughs> but you break down, you know, you take that, this is how many first appointments you need. And then you go back, well, how many households do you have to see? How many events do you have to do? How many registrations does that take? What does that cost? All of those things. And then you can identify weak areas to say, hey, you know what? I'm sitting in front of 20 people and that gives me one appointment. Well, Either I need to spend more money or get better at getting more appointments. And I've, I've one way or another, we need more appointments, right? but put your focus somewhere and let's get better. Yep. I love that. So one of the things I was just listening to um, Michael Kitsis, I was at an event and he was speaking and he talked about the experience when a client comes into an advisor's office and he made this great analogy that I just, I love it. And he says, you know, you can order a teddy bear on Amazon. It'll cost you $12. It comes to your house. You give it to your kids. There you go. Like that's a commodity, right? What advisors need to focus on doing is building that Build-A-Bear service where it's an experience. And then instead of a $12 teddy bear, you have an $80 teddy bear, but it's an experience that the family enjoyed. You went through, they, they built it themselves. He makes a joke about how you turn a $12 item into an $80 item and you're using child, yeah. child labor, right? But, <laughs> to build those things. Uh, but you know, I think so much of that is just so true for advisors of, of how do you yeah. build that experience when they come into your office and they, they build their plan with you and they sit down and, and you're right, it's, it, it's a disservice to call it a sales process. It is a, a client process. But that all starts with how many people are, are standing in line to get in there and, and build that bear. And, you know, one of the things that that we talked about very recently was a opportunity that you had with your children to kind of teach them that entrepreneurial spirit. Right. And I sure. love you go. And now so we talked about teddy bears. So now we can talk about beanie babies. Right. And I would love to hear that story because it just it hit me. I still remember it like I was like, yep, that's great. So if you could tell us tell the listeners what the heck I'm talking about and why two grown men on a financial advisor podcast are talking about Beanie Babies. That would be amazing. Happy to. Let, let me add two more minutes of valuing your client experience, quote unquote, sales process though. And then, yeah, we can talk about Pinchers the Crab or, you know, whatever, whatever they call these Beanie Babies. Um, these are human beings with hopes and dreams and fears and 40 years of work and a million dollars walking into the office. And sometimes the offices that do great assets or that aspire to do great assets can turn a little numb to that. We hope not. 
but they're running high volume businesses. You got to remember these are people that are coming in and getting financially undressed and in a super vulnerable position with you. You know, so we need to take a lot of pride in what that experience is like for them, that Build-A-Bear experience, if we want to use that analogy, right? We just need to, to appreciate them and respect them as human beings and walk them to something that they'll be proud of and that we can be proud of. And, um, and if we can get them into some sort of a framework where it still provides flexibility to provide them the solutions that they need. Now we found it. Now we found something that works well for our business. And we found something that respects them as, you know, a great generation putting in 40 years of work, you know, hard work and, and now taking them into the next phase of their life. So, you know, it's, it's doing both. It's being able to scale our business at the same time, giving them the space that they need. Beanie babies. So I got three boys. They're, uh, they're 11, eight and five. And I don't like I'll, I'll come off fairly strong here. Sorry if it offends any of your listeners. I don't like the concept of um, allowance. I'm not just going to give them money just for money. And we're not going to give them money for chores because they just do chores because it's a part of the house. And so we got to find a way to get money with them. What we started with is clearing out a few things in our house through eBay, um, you know, teaching them how to list some stuff and take pictures, a little bit of sales copy and like just starting to put a supply, simple economic supply and demand. That turned into... Uh, they, them wanting to go to garage sales that turned into them wanting to go to estate sales because they they could see that they made some money. They, they actually had a couple of pretty good flips where they bought. We don't ever buy anything used, but if they go to like a garage sale or an estate sale and they see stuff that's still new in the box and the tags and we can look up on the eBay app on the spot and see what it's worth. And so we can flip it. And they came across a couple of pretty good flips where they might have spent five or 10 bucks, turned it into a couple hundred. So they're like, all right, we want to do more of this. And so then we go to an estate sale and long story short, we walk into a room and the person who had unfortunately passed away, their their uh, children were selling off the things in the home, and there was an entire bedroom that was uh, dedicated to an avid Beanie Baby collector. So this lady had them in cases. Every single one was in like you know snap cases and big acrylic cases and price guides and all this stuff. And after a little while in there and seeing that there was some value to it, my oldest son asked if I would loan him the money to uh, to buy all of them. So we went in and we bought we negotiated. Um, that's part of the skills that I'm trying trying to teach here too. And we negotiated to buy about 750 or 800 Beanie Babies. So we bought all these, put them in totes, took them home. And now for the last couple months, they have learned the uh, the value of inventorying. So they are uh, Excel wizards now and they've they've got inventoried what they need. And now every single day before it's time for school, they uh, they hop on eBay and they we've got a template set up and they get about four or five or six of those a day they get up and listed and I don't know, we tend to sell a couple a week. So uh, it's fun. They, they ended up spending, you know, a few hundred dollars that they negotiated to get all these things out. And now they've probably got a year's worth of work in front of them. And I don't know, who knows, they'll probably end up turning 500 bucks into three, 4,000 bucks, which is phenomenal money for kids in elementary school, but they're going to have to put in real work, you know? So, but we're learning all kinds of stuff. They're learning supply and demand economics. They're learning sales copy. They're learning negotiation. They're learning, uh, you know, shipping and fulfillment for all it's worth. That's what my five-year-old does is he stuffs the things into the envelopes and prints off the UPS labels and helps mom take them to the, to the, to the, to the drop-off spot, like a couple of days a week. So it's fun, man. It's fun. I, we just got to, uh, we got to teach the kids, you know, how to, how to operate in this world and how not to be handed things. Right. So not to be entitled, go out and try to earn it for yourself. I love that. And I always thought like, Oh, you know, I was 12 years old. I, my brother had a paper out. You had to be, I think 50, 14 to have a paper out. And I was 12 and I was like, Hey, what if I just 
did half of your paper out and you paid me, you know, like that, that sure. to me and like hearing like your, your five-year-olds printing shipping labels and go to UBS and they're, they're the great beanie baby scheme of 2021. It. I, it's, it's just inspiring. And um, just so many, there's more to it, but I, I think we'd lose some of really <laughs> the beanie babies. Somebody can find me on the socials if they want to buy a couple hundred beanie babies. So I think I know some guys. That's right. That's right. I love it. <laughs> we'll tag that. We'll put in the eBay links here when we post the podcast. There you go. You know, we'll, there you we'll go. Yeah, I, just, sure. I just take a small commission, you know, a small commission that teach the kids that, right? Yeah. You know? <laughs> Advertising yeah. costs. Sure. Um, but I love it. So it's just entrepreneurship, you know, helping them, re, you know, advisors refine their business. It's just, it's almost in every walk of life that you've done. And I think ultimately anybody that wants to get into any endeavor, right? Whether it's being a uh, a solopreneur in, in the advisor space, whether it's starting their business, whether it's, you know, going out on their own, doing anything, you know, selling Beanie Babies, there's a certain amount of determination that just has to be addressed up front. Like you have to be all in, right? You have to do these things and know that not every day is going to be great. You're, you're going to fall short of those seven meetings a week and you're going to call a hundred people and they're going to, you know, brush you off or say mean things to you or whatever, but you have to be able to pick up that phone the next day. And sometimes that's the heaviest thing, you know, that you've ever come across is picking up that phone one more time. And, you know, I think that the determination and the, the sheer grit of it all is sometimes not um, that we don't praise that enough. And I think that you have it and I don't know where you get it from, but I mean, it's there, right? Uh, I'd love to hear the story about you, uh, the, the time you climbed the distance, it was the, the elevation of Mount Everest and just how yeah. do you set your mind? Because I think that same mindset is applicable to advisors and their businesses, right? But how do you get your yeah. mind to do that? Um, again, kind words, thank you. But the, the, I agree that grit and determination are talked about a lot, but they still feel like these fuzzy terms that... I don't know, can't be overly quantified sometimes. And so I would take it to a couple other words. I would take it more to clarity and confidence. So I, th I don't care if it's Beanie Babies or if it's a financial advisor that wants to get their first $100 million under management or they want to open a second office. Um, we need to get clear on what we're trying to do. So whatever we're trying to do, if we can get crystal clear on that, now we've got something to work towards because if you're not clear on it, halfway up hiking a mountain. I got a bedroom with 400 Beanie Babies in it. We ran three marketing campaigns and one flopped, one went okay, one kind of went, maybe we should do this again. Like any, any circumstance, I don't care what it is. If we don't know where we're going, if we're not super clear on what we want to accomplish, and it's, it's easy to fade off. It's easy to be like, ah, maybe it's not that important. I didn't put that much thought. Nobody really cares anyway. Whatever story you start, you start telling yourself, right? So if we get clear on it, now we're, now we're in a good spot to be able to move forward. And then secondly, that inspires confidence. That inspires like whatever the next step is, it should work. I think it works. It's an educated guess. If it doesn't work, okay, back it up and let's take another step a different direction. But we still know where we're going. And I can have confidence taking that next step that I know I'm progressing in the right direction. Might not be a linear path. Might be, you know, kind of wavy or, or you know, there's more turns in it or a couple backtracks or whatever, but I know where I'm going. Right. And so I would, I love 
where you're going with grit and determination. I just think it's a lot easier for people to quantify and see themselves in. Let's get clear on it. And then let's have confidence that we're stepping towards whatever it is that we're clear in. Yeah, we're, I'm actually going to do this thing again, Brad. So there's something that Jesse Itzler, who is, he, he's been, he's done a couple of books, Living with the Seal and Living with the Monks. Uh, his wife is Sarah Blakely from Spanx. So Jesse puts on an event called 29029. It is hiking the vertical uh, height of Mount Everest, 29,029 feet. And uh, what, what he does is rent out a mountain and over a 36 hour. He rents a mountain. He know, rents just- a mountain, yes. <laughs> He just rents a mountain uh, like that's a normal thing. It's just another Tuesday. Um, But he rents a mountain and you, you know, there's some, there's some hype and there's some setup and there's some things you do, but basically at 6am you go, you hike up the thing. It's not paved paths. I mean, from step one, you're using poles, hiking poles. And um, you know, it takes maybe an hour and a half ish to get up this thing. You know, it's a couple thousand vertical feet. So the last one I did, it went from 6,500 to 8,500 vertical feet. You're tired. Like Brad, if you and I went and hiked that mountain up once, took us an hour and a half or whatever, and we went that vertical feet, you'd stand at the top. You're like, hey, that's pretty cool, right? You put in, put it in, sweating a little bit. We need to get something to eat, something to drink. But then the beauty of this event is you um, you grab something to, to eat a little medical aid station, and then you hop on a gondola, and it's an 11-minute enclosed gondola ride back down. And over those 11 minutes, you are contemplating life. And then you get out and you go stamp a, use a branding iron and you stamp next to number one and next to your name, the little logo of the event. And, uh, and then you're, you're challenged with walking over and turning left and doing it again and starting going back up. And, and that one, I needed to do it. um, I believe it was 15 times. Yeah. I needed to do it 15 times in order to hike the vertical height of Mount Everest. Right. So um, it took 28 and a half consecutive hours. Some of the night hikes turned pretty nasty. Um, I guess it is, you know, we could use any of these analogies of grit or determination or clarity or confidence or whatever word we want to insert in there. But there's a lot of other words I could insert in there, especially like 18 hours in. So at the end of the day, we knew where we were going. We knew what we had to do. I did it with a couple other guys who were in here uh, in our office. And um, I guess our one non-negotiable my point of clarity was that we were going to finish it. Didn't matter how nasty it got. Didn't matter how the wheels were going to fall off because they were going to fall off. And they did maybe 20 or 22 hours in um, one foot in front of the other, whatever it takes. We'll take as much time. We'll do whatever we need to do. The the only non-negotiable is the next step is back up the mountain. That's it. And so, you know, you had to, you had to go to some dark places. You turned into kind of a zombie for a little while, but, uh, and then I left that saying never, ever again, it was, it was multiples harder than any other endurance event that I had done. I'd done, you know, quite a few halves and a full and a bunch of these Spartan races and mutters and all this stuff. And they're fun, um, multiples harder than any of that stuff. And then a bunch of people get in my ear and I just signed up for another one in August. So I think, uh, we're going to take a group of our advisors here, AAE on it, and I'm going to end up uh, doing it with, maybe about 10 of our advisors and we will, uh, we'll be in Utah at snow basin and we're going to see how that, how that works in August. And, and uh, you know, some people will complete it. Some people won't, it's not so much about completing. We talk about just leaving it on the mountain, right? So getting out there and leaving it on the mountain, seeing what you're made of for 36 hours and, uh, and finding maybe a new level of grit inside of you. So yeah, there's a lot of analogies we could go with it there, but 
Well, I love that clarity and confidence, right? If you have that goal in mind, and I always think about this too, when I'm training or doing, I do a lot of weightlifting. I don't walk up mountains. That sounds terrible to me. Right. But I, <laughs> but I do pay a very large man to yell at me to lift more and more weights. Um, and you just go into it without an option, you know, and I think that's something that you have to set your mind to is it's not optional. If I do this or I don't do this, this, this is what's going to happen. And now I can get through it. And for me, that always makes it easier. You know, it's, it's not an option. If I get up every morning, take a shower, brush my teeth and, and have breakfast, it's not optional. So I'm, I'm not dreading it every single time my eyes open, right. It's just something that you have yeah. to do. And I, and I use that same mentality in business and, and, relationships and, and working out and health and fitness and stuff is, it's just not optional. You know, it's, it's, this is what you do, right? You don't, you know, the, the yeah. wife's anniversary or your anniversary with the wife is not optional. You can't say, no, nah, I'm not going to do that this year. Right. The, the picking up the kids from school is not, you could, you probably wouldn't have many anniversaries, <laughs> right. Picking up the kids from school is not optional. It's something you have to do. Right. And the same thing is true in business, right. Getting seven appointments, first appointments a, a week, is not optional. That's what you have to do in order to see the success that you're going to do and setting those clear goals and removing that mindset of, Oh, should I do this? Should I not do this? I think is, is perfect, right? Clarity and confidence. And Brad with that moment of clarity, whatever it is, it could be the number of pending first meetings that you need or whatever anybody else wants to get clear on. Then I think another side effect is you can surrender to the fact that there will be setbacks, right? Like you, and you're not going to know exactly how to navigate them until you're there. And, but you will navigate them. I know that, right? You'll figure it out once you're there. There's a lot of stuff that happens in our office. I was in a couple of meetings yesterday and there was some stuff that got brought up about, anyways, a lot of stuff that got brought up. And we were like, I don't know, but we're going to make the best decision today. And then we'll look at, you know, how that could have long-term ramifications. We will make a dumb decision, but there's plenty of stuff we don't know. And we know that there's going to be a hurdle when we get there six months or 12 months from now, or things aren't going to go perfect. We'll figure it out. And we still know where we're going. Yeah. Like we still know what direction we're headed. So you can almost surrender to that fact. So then when that, that like punch does hit you in the face, you're like, oh yeah, I knew that was coming. Yep. And, and sometimes it all boils down to you have to make, you have to pick the, the best of a bad decision, right? There's, there's all best option anyway. Like you, you pick the best of all the worst options, but the only thing you can't select is giving up or stopping or, or just saying, Oh, this isn't going to work. Right. So, so, Hey man, I appreciate having you on the show. Let's definitely get, let's, let's yeah, get thanks again back for the in, invite. Let's get me back in that inbox. So next year when December rolls up, <laughs> that you can pull the, pull the good ideas out and we can be back in there, but appreciate it. And uh, thanks again, man. If there's anything you want to end with for the advisors listening today of how they should, what they should focus on for 2022, have at it, man. I would say that if they're on any sort of socials, you can find me at Matty New, M-A-T-T-Y-N-E-U, um, and feel welcome. I, I'm living in a world of abundance. We are super blessed around here with all kinds of stuff that we can help financial advisors out with. So it's not like they need to be with our firm to, to pick up some ideas or even engage in conversation, right? So if there is anything that's happening in their world, because I don't want to say this is a macro theme heading into 2022, it's unlike anything we've ever seen, right? And there's varying people in varying parts of the country that are having all kinds of different discussions from this coast to that coast of what they want their practice to look like heading into heading into Q1. So there's a lot up in the air. And I think sometimes the partnership of who you're with from uh, an IMO, FMO, from an RIA, from your marketing relationships, from any of that stuff is, is oftentimes not considered enough, um, oftentimes overlooked. And so 
if there is more that they can get out of those relationships and they're open to exploring those, I'd ask them to reach out and I would love to engage in conversation with anybody that was, that was motivated to do so. Cause now I've got somebody that I can lean into and we know we can make a difference in the world. Love it. Thanks again, man. Appreciate it. Yep. For sure, Brad. Talk to you soon. Matthew Newman of Advisors Excel with Brad Swinehart, the host of Be Advised Leading with Value. To know when the latest episode of the show is ready for you, simply follow the podcast. And of course, share with friends and colleagues. This podcast is brought to you by White Gloves Podcast Connect Program, a done-for-you, fully integrated podcasting system that will help you keep in touch with all of your leads. Thank you for listening to Be Advised, Leading with Value with Brad Swinehart. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of White Glove. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.